as we celebrate this, this feast to honor the body of our blessed Lord. It is for us to recognize the great gift that we receive here whenever we come to Holy Mass, and particularly with the reception of Holy Communion. As mentioned in the front of the bulletin this weekend, there's a wonderful prayer attributed to St. Thomas Aquinas, the O Sacrum Convivium, that provides for us a, 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 brief, a, a wonderful synthesis of what exactly it is that takes place here every single week at Mass. It is something that often has been sung by our choir. Uh, it's something that, uh, it's a, a hymn that I, that I myself loved as it was frequently sung by us at the seminary. And uh, my only frustration with hearing it sung so frequently is I'm distributing you, commu- you communion, so I can't sing along and enjoy it uh, as much as I would have otherwise. So I have to just kind of think about it myself. But it's a beautiful hymn that, that speaks to us of, again, what happens here. It breaks open the great mystery that is present in these manners. O sacrum convivium, in quo Christus sumitur, recolitur memoria passionis eius, mens impletur gratia, et future gloriae nobis pignus datur. O sacred banquet, in which Christ is received, the memory of his passion is recalled, the mind is filled with grace, and a pledge of future glory is given to us. O Sacrum Convivium, O Sacred Banquet. In the last 60 years, the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass has often been referred to in more uh, common terms. Frequently, the aspect of the meal has been emphasized to the the neglect of the, the emphasis upon the Mass as a sacrifice. So often the meal is, is used to be able to speak in terminology applied to the things of Holy Mass that accommodate such a thought. It's the reference oftentimes as the, as the altar is, will continually be referred to as, as the table, and that, uh, that we come together for a meal. Our, 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 our hymns, the contemporary hymns, so many of them speak about this meal aspect. And even in the midst of that, sometimes we'll even, much to my chagrin and to frustration, like nails on a chalkboard, will refer to me purifying the vessels as Father's doing the dishes. It's such common things. They treat it as an ordinary thing. And so on account of this, this emphasis that's seen upon the meal, there's been in in many places, in many hearts, this uh, kind of a repulsion, a revolt against this, this terminology of the Mass as a meal. We must emphasize the sacrifice. And so certainly it is proper for us to understand these things. But there is an aspect in which what we do here is a meal. In fact, that meal comes from the fact that this is primarily a sacrifice. The Old Testament sacrifice, they would gather together and the, the people would, they would bring a bull or a goat and they would offer it upon the altar. And once it had been offered to the Lord God, they would take a portion of it off and take it down and they would consume it together. The people would be gathered around to be able to partake. The family, the friends, even the strangers who might be happen to be passing by would be present there and they would receive. There would be a meal feasted upon by the offering that had been given as a sign of what had been offered to God first then has resulted in God's blessings and then the people receive those blessings in their flesh by eating of the food, eating of the sacrifice. This is a similar thing of what happens with us in the Holy Eucharist. Because, in fact, what we do celebrate here does have to it an aspect of a meal. Otherwise, the words of our Lord would have no meaning to us. 
uh, when he says to us, My flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. We must take him literally and seriously of these things. Furthermore, in the third chapter of Revelation, our Lord tells us, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and he who hears my voice and opens the door to to us, I will come in and we will dine with him. We will eat with him. It's our Lord who speaks about these things in meal terms in several places, particularly in the sixth chapter of St. John's Gospel. But it is for us to recognize that while there is an aspect of meal, it is more than just a commonplace meal. It's not simply us kind of gathering together and to be able to pass a good time among friends. It's not even just as Christians to be able to come together and to share from the common table of Christ, as we might say. But rather, it is to draw close and to abide in God. O sacrum convivium. Convivium, the two words con and vivere, to live with, are used here. The sacred banquet is not just, it's not just a, a moment of meal, not just a moment of being together. It is a living together with. The meal is simply an expression of one aspect of that greater living together with God, which we are called to have. It is supposed to be a trademark of our entire life, that we are mindful of the Lord's presence with us, that we are walking with him and he with us. We are living with him, convivium. This is what is present here in the Eucharist, this living together with, one, of, one part of which are living together with others is a meal, the drawing together to be nourished. But as for us, ultimately, to live with the Lord at all times, to abide with him, and for him to abide in us. In quo Christus sumitur, in which Christ has received. What we receive here, this verse tells us, is not a symbol. It is Christ. It is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our God, and nothing less. To use the words of Flannery O'Connor in reference to the moment when someone spoke to her about the Eucharist being but a symbol, she said, if it is a symbol, to hell with it. And when we say that, I think we can take her literally, because the simple fact is that what happens here is we come here to Holy Mass and we worship. We worship the Eucharist. We adore the Eucharist as God. This is what we profess. We bow down, we bend the knee before him. We sing hymns of adoration and praise to the blessed sacrament. And if it is a symbol, we are all, to the last one of us, idolaters, followers of a wicked tradition that has come to us from the evil one himself. And it right, rightly ought to be sent to hell. If the Eucharist is a symbol, our faith is in vain and we are fools. We are idolaters that have followed a false god. But it is not idolatry that we have here. It is right worship because it is Christus. It is Christ. No symbol, but reality. It is Christus who is sumitur, the word often referred to as received. And indeed, we do receive him in the Holy Eucharist. But also sumitur, in a more literal translation, as always, any time you translate from one language to another, there's always the difficulty of encompassing the fullness of the meaning of the word. And sumitur means not only to receive, but also to take up, to take up something. And it's us taking up our Lord, taking up Holy Communion, taking up and receive, 
to take up and to eat. But also, this word speaks of the humility of Christ who allows himself to be taken up. God, who is the creator of all things, humbles himself and he comes in the form of bread and wine. He humbles himself to be taken up into our own hand. To be taken up himself. Knowing that in many places throughout the world, this humility of his will result in blasphemies and sacrilege unworthy communions beyond number. And yet, in his love for us, in his humility, he endures these things, that the faithful who receive well might have life. His humility is manifest here before us as he comes and humbles himself to be present in the simple host. Recolitur memoria passionis seius. The memory of his passion is recalled. It is not simply a a reenactment that we do here. It is not a sort of Lenten passion play that we put on and and remember the time as we might suit up in simple simple clothes to remember the things of our Lord as at Obergammerau with the passion play that takes place. Rather, what what we do here every single Mass is we come to Calvary itself. It is represented. It is made present here once more. The chalice on the altar is veiled. It does not mean there is not a chalice. And the passion that is present here every single Mass, though it is veiled to our eyes in this world, it does not mean that it is not present to us. It is true. In every single Mass we come to, whether the most glorious Mass we have ever seen or the most normal and mundane thing we have ever seen, is Calvary. It is the foot of the cross. It is the place where we stand or kneel next to our Blessed Mother and Mary Magdalene and John. We come and we find rest here. We stand and we kneel at the cross and we behold him who for love of us laid down his life. It's for us to shape these things within our mind and to constantly have it within our heart. These points are given to us in the words recolitur in memoria. Recolitur, recalled. It's recalled to our mind, but it's not simply a a recollection, a a simple memory of things, but rather it's more the proper word of of recollator is a cultivation of the thing, much like one would cultivate a plant. That you care for the soil, you fertilize things, you water it, you care for it. You, if, there are, if there's you know, bugs that are attacking it, you respond to these things. If it is something that you're, you're trying to, to grow like a, a particular tree or you're training a vine, you do something to it. You prune it, you, 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 you know, attach it to the trellis. You do these things so that it is being continually cared for and tended to as it grows. And this is the word that is being used here for our contemplating and recalling the passion of Christ. It is something that can, should continually be in our mind as we come here, as we're increasing, growing, caring for the passion of Christ in our own intellect, contemplating these things, deepening our understanding and appreciation of the mysteries that are before our very eyes. Also, the memoria, the keeping in mind, again, not simply a, a moment of remembrance, but truly a a word that has a a greater emphasis upon a a deep conviction, a deep knowing in the heart that this is Calvary, that this is Christ, that this is the place and the means of salvation. Not an intellectual exercise, 
but a strength, a force of deep conviction within the soul. Mens implator gratia. The mind is filled with grace. Grace, the life of God. It is this that comes to us in Holy Communion. And there are many graces that we can speak of with regards to the reception of Holy Communion. It frees us from venial sins. It increases the holiness of God within us. It unites us to the good Lord. It strengthens us in our will. It increases his life within us, both in this life and for the next. It increases the theological virtues of faith and hope and charity. And it does many other things. It is the grace that fills our mind. And this is a particularly important thing for us to reflect upon. Because the reality is that as we draw near to the holy altar of God, we are coming to the most important moment of our day, of our week, of our month, and of our life. Every single time. Because we are coming to receive God. To be united to God in our own very flesh. And in the midst of that, to be able to experience something of the foretaste of heaven. It's an encounter and a unifying aspect of our life with him. This, on account, is a reason that the devil hates it. And if there is one moment in which the devil will certainly be found hovering around us, it is at the moment of Holy Communion. I recall the words of our blessed Lord, who, as he, he's speaking, and he says, if on the way to the altar to offer sacrifice, you recall that, you have, that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice and go make peace. Then come offer your sacrifice. What our Lord is speaking there specifically about is the fact that as we draw near to that, to that encounter with God, things will come to our mind, either good or bad, that will do something and either convict us in holiness or to seek to pull us away in wickedness. Sometimes it will be, as we come to the altar, as we come to the holy rail, that we, as we're in, in, in procession or standing in line or kneeling there at the rail itself, there will be things that come to mind of which we ourselves need to do. We're convicted of, of the, the lack of our fervor in our prayer lately. Or maybe it is in the words of our Lord that we need to be reconciled with someone. Or these things will come up wherein the Holy Spirit is trying to prompt in us this, this encouragement to do something good. And so we can be strengthened by the grace of the Holy Spirit, but strengthened by the Eucharist to be able to then recognizing that to go do it. But also, the evil one wants to put thoughts in our minds. It's an experience that I've had myself, as well as I know from a number of other people who have come to me disturbed in heart and seeking counsel on the same that the place in this, in this life where often we may experience the most disturbing thoughts, violent thoughts, uh, vulgar thoughts, will be right before communion. Because the devil is doing all that he can to pull us away from the grace of God, to distract us, to disturb us, to confuse us, to be able to convict us. Because we have that thought, we ought not to receive communion today in that particular moment. The devil will use all of these tactics to be able to place into our minds these things of wickedness in the hopes that he will pull us away from the grace of God. But if it is a momentary thought that takes place, it is for us to come forward to the holy rail and to allow our minds to be filled with grace, to receive the fruits of the sacrament 
and to allow them to be purified and sanctified. And then, et fature gloriae, nobis pignus datur. And the pledge of future glory is given to us. The sacred scriptures, our blessed Lord, today in the gospel as well as elsewhere, he speaks of the fact of life that is given to us. In John chapter 6, he speaks in several places. He says, of those who receive the Holy Eucharist, who eat of his flesh and drink of his blood, he will live forever. I will raise him up on the last day, and the one who feeds on me will live because of me. He gives life, and he promises a life that is eternal, not fading, not temporary, future glory. This is the glory and the promise given to us. It is the promise given to us because it is this that is written into our hearts the most, the desire for that eternal glory, that desire for eternal life and eternal joy. We seek it in so many ways in this life, but it will always be found wanting if we pursue it only here. We must pursue it in the life of the world to come. It is for us to recognize that the Eucharist is that encouragement for us along the way to the place of eternal life and the means of life here and now. It's to call to mind our Jewish brothers and sisters who of old received of the manna of which our blessed Lord speaks. They've received the manna as they left Egypt, leaving, leaving this slavery. They are given this manna, this miraculous bread that comes down from heaven. It appears every day except the Sabbath for them to be nourished in the desert. For 40 years as they wander, every day it has come down to them to be able to feed their souls, to nourish their bodies, and to be able to, to continue to persevere in the hopes of attaining one day the vision of the promised land. And as soon as they pass into the promised land, as soon as they cross the Jordan to enter in, the manna ceased and never fell again. The promise had been attained. It became reality. And for us in this earthly journey, we are falling away, we are turning away from the Egypt of our own sinfulness. And the means by which we can be saved is the Eucharist. It is the Eucharist that is our way bread, the bread that, that feeds us along the desert of this life. But one day the Eucharist will go away and it will cease to exist because we will be in the promised land. In heaven, we will not gather around a monstrance. We will gather around the lamb who was slain for us. We will gather around Christ himself to behold his glorious wounds, the price of our salvation. And we worship him in spirit and in truth, in flesh and in blood, right there before our very eyes. Not in the mere sign of the Eucharist, but in the reality of Christ in his human flesh. This is the promise offered to us. And it's the Eucharist that makes all of these things possible. Indeed, O Sacrum Convivium, in quo Christus somitur recolitur memoria passione seius, mens impletur gratiae, et future gloriae, nobis dator, genius dator.